Accelerating Careers in Real Estate with Nick Carman. Brought to you by McDonald & Company. The Accelerating Careers in Real Estate podcast is now supported by the Urban Land Institute. To find out more about becoming a member, please follow the link in the show notes, remembering to quote the promo code ACRE to take advantage of all the benefits of our partnership. More details at the end of this podcast. So today's episode is a little different, but represents a really big milestone for me and the Accelerating Careers podcast. Accelerating Careers in Real Estate is now one year old. So I want to take this opportunity to look back at some of the episodes, including what I've learned, some sneak previews of what's in store for the future. So in February 2020, I was just discovering podcasts on my usual commute along the Virgin Line from Manchester to London. Now, I found it a great medium to brush up, learn or just be entertained. But it did get me thinking what a great tool this might be for me to explore some of the aspects of my job and the discussions I have whilst recruiting in real estate. What shone through was an aspect of an interview I always found the most intriguing. What happens in a career to mean it's more successful than others? Now, from the outside, it may seem like these careers go off like a rocket. But I can tell you now, no career starts off on the same trajectory and manages to stick to it. Careers are built in waves or chapters, accelerating or resting. Now, what pits my guest against the status quo is that after a period of accelerating, they yearn for more, and that that period of resting or consolidation, it's meant to be comfortable, but to them, it's often a period of real discontent. Will Bax, Chief Executive Officer of Retirement Villages, very eloquently puts it. Highly inquisitive to the world around me, I love learning new things. I love innovating. And I am easily inspired. And where one of those things falls down, so where I don't feel that I'm learning at a fast enough rate, or I don't feel inspired by those around me or the work that I'm doing, I'm equally someone that can you know, become frustrated and disillusioned quickly. And I suppose at the end of that sort of initial two-year period at Grosvenor, I, you know, I felt that sort of rate of learning had started to sort of plateau and I was increasingly hungry for the next sort of catalytic step that would take me out of my comfort zone. And, you know, I really identify with fee- the importance of feeling out of your comfort zone. You know, as soon as I felt comfortable in my career, I've always felt that something is slightly out of kilter, strangely, that, you know, that's, they have been the less positive periods of my career. But the why or the how have our guests been able to find that spark to once more accelerate? That's what I wanted to really spend some time really investigating. Now, I'm resolute. It had something to do with building blocks. I don't think it was ever going to be something singular, some holy grail of of accelerating careers. But what were those traits, skills, tools, experience? And most importantly, how can we learn to use them in our career? So I started speaking to people who I knew already, who had relationships with, who had developed over the past 15 years of recruiting in real estate. What I quickly learned was each person had a different story to tell. Each had established a unique tool set to navigate these stages in their career. 
Mark Flessing, chief executive of Pocket Living, didn't begin his real estate career until in his late 40s. But he has a real passion for that problem he's trying to solve with Pocket. And as a consequence, that's the one he stuck to. Roger Madeline, visionary King's Cross, famous for its design, but he began life on a construction site, mucky boots, building large out-of-town retail sheds. Jonathan Goldstein, founder of Kane International, thought it was something very simple. Because making decisions involves risk. And it doesn't matter if that decision is to go wear a red tie or a blue tie today, or whether or not it's to, you know, pay X or Y million. But ultimately, they have to make a judgment. And sometimes those judgments are going to be wrong. Okay, and you have to live with those very much that are wrong. But if you get six or seven big decisions right out of 10, you will flourish. What I find is that most people can't make a decision. It was Alex Ferguson who was asked just before he retired, how comes he knew that all his decisions were right? And he said, don't be stupid. Of course, I know they're not right. I just know that when I have to make a decision, I have to make a decision. And when I've made that decision, I've got to stick with it. And that's a philosophy that I've lived by. You know, we made the decision this weekend. We were bidding on a deal. And we got it wrong. We didn't get the deal. But you know what? There's no jobbing backwards. You can't be a professor of hindsight science. Ultimately, I think the big uh, factor is not – I'm not the cleverest person out there. I was never the best lawyer out there. I'm not the smartest businessman now today either. There's lots of clever men and women cleverer than me. But I do have an ability to make a decision and understand that and stick by it. And I'm also big enough to acknowledge when I've got something wrong. And if I've got something wrong, I'm the first to put my hand up and say, I'm wrong. Let's change it. The characters I approached and interviewed have a significant profile. Many are leaders and recognisable faces with back catalogues of news and print interviews. So it's easy to assume they've always been so confident and assured of their success. But I found it very interesting and also maybe reassuring their careers didn't always start as confidently. The beginning of these careers weren't always filled with drive and determination to reach the top of real estate. Many were fraught with indecision or disappointment. As Stephen Skinner, Chief Executive Officer of HP Revis, explains. You know, I, I was a university dropout, yeah? So I actually left school and went to, so, so went, I'm from Sheffield, I went to school in Sheffield, and actually uh, went to Sheffield University to study economics. Um, my mum was a maths teacher and kind of, I've always loved maths. Uh, very quickly, I realised that, you know, it wasn't going to teach me what, what I was looking for, which was really being honest, you know, how to turn one pound to two and, and, and two to three and three to four. Uh, it became way too theoretical for me. So, so I actually dropped out and I spent a year doing lots and lots of different jobs. So, you know, I was a labor building site. I worked for a shop fitting company, worked in a clothes shop, worked in a bar, worked in a restaurant, worked in a nightclub, just did any really kind of cash in hand jobs and very quickly realized that that would be a hard way to make a living. And so totally randomly, actually, my, my younger brother was, was looking for a university degree and he left out the prospectus for Sheffield Hallam University on our kitchen table, had a flip through, saw there's a property course. I thought, oh, OK, everyone, everyone seems to do well who works in property. And actually, the, the course had already started. I think this was kind of October or November time. And I actually just called them up and said, look, 
um, you know, I have, I was arrogant, I said, look, my, my, my grades are too good for your course, but I'd really like to, to, to join. Can I just turn up? And they said, yeah, sure, come on Monday. And occasionally, they took a more unique path to arrive at their current role in real estate. As describes Neil Young, CEO of Young, and credited with being the father of the build-to-rent sector in the UK. For a year, I was uh, the delights of working in catering finance. Uh, so along with David McKenzie, who, who I still work with to this day, um, we were the two accountants looking after all the food bills for BA in the UK. So uh, you know, many trips around the different airports and deciding about whether we should take half a tomato off a dish to save some money when it was budgeting time. Um, but a great, a great experience uh, and worked with some great people and, and you know, a number of friends from, from that role still. And then after a year, got moved up into a management role, um, working in corporate finance, which was hugely enlightening. Had the opportunity to go to the executive team meeting once a month when the finance review was on. Uh, I was only in my mid-20s, so it was quite, a, quite an experience. So really looking at not only the kind of historic reporting, but more so at the, at the, the forecasting side of where BA was at. And it was great. I mean, it was to have to, the exposure to, you know, the CFO contacting me with questions or being at the executive meeting and having the CEO asking questions that you're sitting there answering when you're only a few years into your career was, was a real um, eye-opener for me. And, and actually going along to those meetings, you know, I, I learned probably as much about how to run a business as how not to run a business. It was, it was you know, really, um, really something I, I look back on and, and still use to this day what I learned there. I named the podcast Accelerating Careers because I often find a common theme in my interviews. Our guests have a habit of learning quicker, conquering challenges and moving forwards, not letting their careers stutter. However, for many of our guests, they struggle to get their foot on the ladder in the first instance. In this snippet, you hear from Jan Tribjani, Design Director at Northacre, describing how in the face of hundreds of rejected applications as he was applying in around 2010 to start his design and architecture career, he found a very novel way to stand out. So sure enough, Square and Partners had a, had a street party event organized, which you know is, it really is something that's synonymous with the Square and Partners, which is a, a brilliant practice in terms of you know, obviously architecture, but then also uh, social life. So I end up picking this brochure. Um, you know, I, I come home, I put it on a on a stack with the, all the rest of the brochures. And then, at, you know, at one point during an evening, I'm, I'm flicking through these brochures and suddenly I'm, I find that the practice is actually working on a, on a residential scheme, medium-sized residential scheme in Slovenia. So sure enough, I, you know, I resend the CV, but, you know, at the time, as we said, no one's hiring. So what do you do? You know, I end up taking a holiday back home and sure enough, I, I say, do you know what? I'm actually going to go visit this site, see if I can find the person or the director that, that's relevantly and directly responsible for it and see if I can go knock on that particular door. Sure enough, a friend of uh, mine and myself end up going to this site and end up talking to one of the locals who uh, turns out to be uh, ardently opposed to the construction of this scheme. And he, you know, he, he walks out with a stack of plans and sure enough, there I am in the middle of Slovenia, looking at a stack of plans from, you know, Squire and Partners. And, you know, in the revision bubble, I end up picking up who the responsible directors and associates were. And sure enough, an email goes out directly into their inbox, you know, two days later. 
it turns out I had emailed one of the partners directly and uh, apparently piqued his curiosity by the directness of, of the approach. And I was invited for an interview a couple of days later. My guests found ways around these obstacles. They don't take no for an answer and they go looking for help of how to conquer these challenges in their path so the early stages of their career. One common theme is mentors and it keeps coming up and coming up. Here, Tom Gaffney, MD of CBRE's Hong Kong business, explains. Where I have been sort of fortunate, certainly in the early years of my career, was I was able to uh, latch on to, of what is still today, some of the best people I've been mentored by. And I I still to this day go to these guys uh, for guidance and support or counsel, you know, when when I run into a problem. And... I think it's extremely important in those early years to to find a mentor or find someone that you can you can speak openly about whether that's within your company or external it doesn't matter but just someone that you can be open and be yourself around and really share where your challenges are you know and and lay out some options you know don't waste their time sort of saying well what would you do you got to go to them with solutions and say which one would you pick if you or me a b or c and um I think you quickly realise that there's a lot more people out there who want to see you do well in those early years. It certainly changes as your career develops, but um, I think in those early years, if people see that you're working hard, you've got a good attitude, you're enjoying what you're doing and you've got a thirst for learning, I think people are, are more than willing to help. The topic of seizing opportunities is a very common theme. My guests often try to play it down by just describing it as luck or happenstance. But I prefer to think this is one of the fundamental building blocks of an accelerating career, being awake to new opportunities that others may just let and pass them by. Jonathan Goldstein, founder of Kane International, describes this as maximising potential, and Varun Raghavan describes it as range. Now, sticking with Tom Gaffney, he and an earlier guest, Moena Hall, COO of Argent, also touch on this point of careers being non-linear. If you allow them to grow, then you allow yourself to be open to more, and you might be surprised by just the number and the type of opportunities that reveal themselves. I think if you've got the drive to get ahead and the drive to um, to learn, then you should really never turn a, a good opportunity down. And I think that I've seen so many careers, certainly here in Asia, where there's really good opportunities put in front of people and they and they turn their nose up to it thinking, well, I don't want to move to that location because, you know, I might miss out on the next, you know, promotion here. But the reality is of careers, careers aren't linear. And I really think that sometimes you need to go sideways to go up, you know, and I think having that experience, having gone overseas, you know, and done different postings across different jurisdictions in a short period of time, I think probably did give me a lot of experience that maybe others didn't have, which has sort of put me in, in a good position for later years to be considered for more senior roles. I've never had a career plan because I think if I had had one, I wouldn't be doing necessarily what I'm doing now because what I'm doing now has come through opportunity as opposed to uh, a plan that would have had a very kind of linear route to it. I think I am opportunistic and I think it does take quite a bit of confidence in a way to be that, in that you have to be open and flexible and adaptable to what comes and not beat yourself up if things don't go as you had expected. But actually, 
I think by being that way and, and allowing my mind to think like that, I've actually been able to take on greater responsibility and also challenge and create things which wouldn't have otherwise been suggested to me. But one lesson that I've learned in the last 12 months is these don't always work out. And the good news is that's okay. They're not always what they seem. But one of the traits of our guests so far is that they make the most of that situation. There's a trend here emerging. Of all the people who, are, who I've interviewed now, and we talk about their careers, you know, they always talk about luck. They always talk about it was just the right time for this to happen. It can't be, it just can't be sheer dumb luck, can it? There must be something about you, Varun, and, and about sort of the, my other guests that you seem to recognise these opportunities that others might allow them to pass them by, or, or you're a greater risk taker than others, and you're willing to grab onto it. What do you think it might be? I think one of the things that, Nick, I would, I would say is that um, uh, I sort of use the term range. So when you do different things and when you have a range of things that you end up doing, uh, what it allows you to do is it gives you the opportunity to be uh, to maximize your chances of hitting on that one thing that that is a lucky lucky area of success, right? So in my case, during this time when I was in India, obviously ran corporate development, I you know, ran the data center business. But uh, within this time, I also actually took a year off and went and worked for the Indian government, embedded inside the government. And that has not led to anything. Like there's no, uh, I mean, that has not resulted in a great outcome in my career, but it could have. So I think my sort of um, response would be that if you try different things, particularly um, try them seriously and with commitment, there is a higher chance of being successful or finding that thing that you're going to be successful on. Uh, but there is an element of luck, maybe not dumb luck, maybe sort of semi-sophisticated luck, <laughs> but there is an element of that as well uh, that we cannot deny. Our guests and their accelerating peers aren't afraid to make that bold move. As Amelia Bright, Executive Director of Grosvenor, explains when she made her first director move aged just 24. My, my boss at the time, who was great, actually left. And rather than hiring in another director, they gave me effectively his role, which was this managing our investments in joint ventures. So I actually had a big step up in terms of responsibility and complexity of role and managed, I suppose, the corporate refinance of our investment in one of the joint ventures. And at the time, it, it was quite an intimidating role to take on because I suppose I must have been 24 or so at the, at the time. And I was sitting around the table with four other male directors discussing how we run our development business. But it's the first time that I'd learned that I could just be open about what I did and didn't know. And that provided you do that, people will generally help you. So it was a really interesting time for me. And I could learn from those other far more experienced developers around the table. They may even do it in the face of others' advice or common opinion, as Caroline Harper, Chief Planning Officer for Be First, when she leaves behind the corporate planning world to go and work in the public sector, many questions, was she retiring? I think probably mixed views. So I did get asked quite a lot as to why, why are you doing that? And Why do you think you got asked that? Why is that so unusual? Oh, because there's this ridiculous public-private 
divide just drives me nuts. Um, it should be much more um, collaborative than that tends to be. And I think the stereotypical private planning consultant has a massive chip on their shoulder about, hey, I'm working in the private sector and the public sector has a similar chip on their shoulder is actually, if we were a bit more collaborative, it would be a much more effective system. Um, but anyway, I won't rant too much about that. And I think public sector planners often get a bad rep. You know, I, I've also given public sector planners a bad rep because there are some shocking ones, but there are also some shocking private planning consultants as well. And there are different types of bureaucracy that both areas, I won't call them sides, have to, have to deal with. So I think uh, there was a, a mix of views as to why I was doing that and almost a kind of, well, you're, you know, from some people, uh, you're sort of retiring in some ways, which is sort of depressing in your 30s, but um, <laughs> very, very much wasn't going there. And actually, to me, you know, that is completely opposite of what Be First has been set up to do. And it's a, it's a, it is a public sector organisation, but it's trying to straddle what works best in the public and private sectors. Now, I wanted to end my recap with James Pellet, Director of Innovation and Workplace for Great Portland Estates. Now, he describes the changes happening to real estate and as it now begins to collide with technology, what it's going to mean for real estate. Well, real estate is quite slow. It's a slow moving business in terms of it takes seven years to build a building from concept to finish and occupy moving in. But it took Instagram, so Facebook, to take Instagram from 1 million users to 1 billion users in that same period of time. So technology moves quick. So you've got to stay open-minded. You've got to understand how a building gets put together and then look for the opportunity. And that's how we could make those buildings smart because we were retrofitting that technology. And by doing that, then we build on that for the next thing and we learn for the next project. So what we do at Hickman next month when people see that, that is a truly advanced smart building that takes into account all of the work we learn with BIM, it's building in the digital twin, it's putting in sensors, it understands how people move about the building, it looks at wellness, about energy consumption, about sustainability, and it, above all else, it's a great and exciting place to be in because we thought about the design and and that's another part of my role. So it's the reason why it's workplace and innovation is because I'm looking at both trends at the same time. And I chair the design review panel so that we're testing the teams and giving them permission to fail really along the way and, and encouraging them and being bolder in what we do. Because you know, fortune's going to favor the bold in, in that, that world. And other competitors may wait and see, and that's fine for them, but for us, it means that we're always staying ahead of what occupiers need. And and as long as we can package that and sell that, then we're going to be working on some really exciting projects to come over the next decade. So once more, a really big thank you for me for tuning in. Um, I really hope you're enjoying the interviews. I intend to keep on pressing on to learn more about these building blocks to establish an accelerating career. Now, I promise to give you a sneak peek into the future of the podcast. Now, I thoroughly enjoy the interviews. So I'm going to keep on recording and I hope to be able to travel a little bit more around the globe because I think it's really important to gain a really clear perspective on how building career might well be impacted by different cultures or different geographies. Now, next phase. This is what I would like to now to begin to usher in and it all depends on your help. I want to be more engaged with my audience. I love getting your emails. 
and the LinkedIn messages, and I wanted to hear more from you. I'll be establishing a LinkedIn group or community to begin with, and from this, we may explore the idea of what a community might mean for the Accelerating Careers podcast. I also wanted to, when we can, bring the podcast to a live show. I'd love to interview a handful of our guests with a crowd and put your career questions to them directly. Finally, if I'm going to complete our journey of helping to understand the building blocks to an accelerating career, one of the common themes has been mentors. Now, many of our guests so far have been very, very happy to share with you in more detail their experience when asked, people connecting on LinkedIn or sending emails after they've listened to the episodes. But I want to build on this. I'll be soon detailing the launch of the Accelerating Careers in Real Estate Mentor Programme, a programme that is going to have all the experience of our guests and with the help then of a series of mentoring and workshop events with the aid of some key training and career coaches. More on that in the future. So all the best and thank you again for tuning in. I really, really do appreciate it. And I always look forward to hearing your thoughts, comments and feedback on email or LinkedIn. So please keep sending those in. All the best. The Urban Land Institute is the oldest and largest network of cross-disciplinary real estate and land use experts in the world with more than 45,000 global members. The ULI's ethos of personal development makes them an ideal collaborator on our podcast, and we encourage our listeners to learn more and become members by signing up at uli.org forward slash join, quoting the promo code ACRE. Thank you for listening.